This morning, I just want to spend time thinking about and talking about diversity, which is something that is a big part of our congregation, is a core value for us, something that I, I try to talk about often because it is something that really deeply matters to me because I believe that it is an outpouring of the gospel. And if you go to a church and it has like only people who are, are just like you in, in your age range, in, in your income level, like honestly, at, at times I struggle to wonder, like, is it actually church that's happening? Because as the church begins in Acts chapter 2, the first like amazing movement of, of the Holy Spirit uh, causes different groups of people to be able to understand and speak each other, speak with each other, which would be an awesome miracle if it happened again today. That would be really, really cool. But it's about breaking down walls and barriers that people often have between each other. And I think when you live in a place like LA, which is a diverse city, we get the opportunity to see some of the benefits of diversity. One of the greatest benefits, perhaps, is the food that we have here in Los Angeles. We have some of the best food in the entire world. How many of you would say Chinese food is your favorite? Thai food? Anybody for Thai food? Mexican food? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, and I could keep going on and on. I haven't even gotten uh, some, some of yours. I mean, you can get a little more specific, like Salvadorian food. If you haven't had pupusas, like you aren't living. Um, so if you, if you don't know what a pupusa is, just trust me. I can uh, point you in the direction of one, and they, they are fantastic. And for me, I'm like, I, I can't just choose just one. Like if I was to think of like, what is the one food I would eat for the rest of my life, I would probably instinctually say Mexican because I just absolutely love Mexican food, but then I'd be like, but what about pizza? There's just like a whole lot of complications. So the good thing is we don't have to make that choice, and we have some of the, the best in the world at whatever it happens to be. That's one of the benefits of diverse, diverse groups of people coming together and living in this city, but I think oftentimes we don't spend enough time around those who are different than us, even in a place like L.A. If you're driving around L.A., there's a predominantly African-American part of town. If you're driving around L.A., there's a predominantly a Korean part of town. And you think of this as like a progressive city in 2021 where, you know, hopefully we've been able to work through some of these things. But in reality, like this is still present and we need to be active in how we break things down. I was at the funeral of a pastor who was at this church many years ago and as the um, family was gathered, they mentioned something. They said, you know, dad always used to say this. And they were talking specifically about a line that he would say uh, in his sermons regularly. And I was like, I, I, I want to have that. I want to have something. And hopefully it's a long time from now. But at my funeral that people say, hey, you know, you know, dad always used to say that. Or, you know, Brian always used to say that. And this is a line that I try to say often. But I think we like, like the idea of love. But what I want to try to say often is loving everyone everywhere is a good recipe for loving not any real people anywhere. I think we have this idea that, oh, I just, I just love everybody. And I would say, really? Like, show me that in your life. I just really, you know, and you might have kind feelings towards everybody, but that's not enough. That bar's too low. To actually love people, especially in like the, the Christian understanding of it, takes entering in, takes relationship. It takes sometimes being offended by somebody and choosing to forgive them. It's about sometimes being let down by somebody and choosing to forgive them. Real love takes work. And it's important for us to continue to understand that we need to seek out like, diverse relationships of people that, that we can have community with. 
because it matters. Here are a, a couple of pictures of some individuals that perhaps you recognize right as the pictures come up. Maybe you don't. On the top is uh, Malcolm X, and on the bottom is Martin Luther King. And Malcolm X is known for being involved in a more extremist movement than Martin Luther King, but it's interesting to know a little bit about both of their backgrounds. They happen to be, both of them, the sons of Baptist preachers. And Malcolm X and his family were in Nebraska, and they were threatened by the KKK. They had bricks thrown into their home. They lived with great fear and anxiety about continuing to live in that space. And so they moved to Lansing, Michigan, to hopefully get into a place that would be a little bit more comfortable and wouldn't fill them with as much anxiety. And his father continued to preach. And his father was killed by another white supremacist crew. And it was never really investigated, but it was commonly known that's what happened. So Malcolm's mother tries to rally and and help the family. She would sometimes cook dandelions from out front so they could eat something. And eventually she lost her mind and had to go into a mental institution for a while. Her family was in the foster care system and moved from place to place. Malcolm was wild in his 20s and 30s, was put into prison for stealing And it was there that he learned a radical form of Islam. It was a bit of the direction of his life. Perhaps you're more familiar with Dr. King and his story. He also experienced segregation and and racism growing up, but he was more protected within his family. He was very intelligent, and he said there was a point where he was trying to decide whether God was calling him into academics or into continuing in ministry, and he he prayed about this and prayed about this, and he heard, he said there were two times in his life when he heard from the Lord, and he said that he heard from the Lord that said, I am calling you like I called Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And if you're familiar with Ezekiel and Jeremiah's stories, they don't really end all that well. But I'm calling you like these prophets of old. And this is going to be hard for you, Martin, but lo, I will be with you always. And I think about these stories and what these two men experienced. And I think about Malcolm and how perhaps there were some people who weren't racist in his town. I imagine there were people who would have welcomed his family. But his life was a result of some of the things that happened. And Martin Luther King certainly did not have an easy life. But I think that he at least had a little bit more protection in his life than Malcolm X did. And as you think about these stories, we need to recognize the need for all of us to continue to address those who we at times would think are other. 
who we at times maybe wouldn't walk out of our way to walk into someone else's life, that we wouldn't sometimes think about what it's like to live in somebody else's shoes. Who is an other for you that you need to concretely, that I need to concretely think about? Like, I, I need to love this person. And it isn't just showing up in a space or, you know, well, you know, I, I have a Mexican friend or I have, a, you know, you, you, it's about concrete action and making a difference and listening. I often think of Jesus and his disciples and, and the group that he gathered. When you look at it, it just makes no sense. Because first of all, if I'm trying to gather a, a movement and you know, I have the pressure of like, all right, you need to get a group of people that's going to make such a profound impact on the world that you know, 2,000 years later, we're still going to be talking about them. And first of all, I would probably pick like the elite of the elite. And I love how in the book of Acts, they're describing the disciples and someone says like, these are just like unschooled, ordinary people. Like these aren't like the special ones, you know? I would go to the Ivy League and I would go and I would like, pick these people who are super intelligent. Like how, how do we get this? But Jesus just picks kind of ordinary people who are, you know, have some temper problems and have some issues and are very broken and just don't get it as far as what it is that he's gonna do. And then he gathers this group of very unlikely people. You have Simon, who is called a zealot. That's how he's mentioned. Um, that Simon the zealot is there. And a zealot believed that the kingdom was going to come by force. And this is a common Jewish belief and understanding that there was going to be a king like King David who would like sit on the throne and sit in this power. And that's what the disciples honestly like constantly misunderstand. But Simon the Zealot specifically, like he would have known like this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take this thing over by force. And Jesus like invites him around the table. And that's interesting because that is not what Jesus believed. <laughs> but he invites Simon the Zealot around the table. And then he invites Matthew, the tax collector, who if you were to think of someone specifically who the, the zealot would have really despised, it would be the tax collector. Because if you're a tax collector, you have like sold out to Roman government and authority. And the Romans basically said, you can tax people whatever you want to as long as you give us our cut. And so oftentimes the tax collectors were the very wealthy in town because they were way overcharging their friends. They were traitors. So Jesus says, let's just have the awkwardest group of people ever, basically. A tax collector and a zealot. Now let's just get together and figure this whole thing out. As we think about like those, those polarized group of people, I think in, in our minds we can think Republican and Democrat in our world today, but I have to tell you it's way more extreme even than that. I think that our world is, is polarized and there's some issues right now, but it's more extreme. I, I would argue like, like a, a terrorist and a, a Navy SEAL. And let's sit down and have dinner together. 
Or what combination can you think of that just, is just offensive? Like these two people would not sit together and have a meal. And Jesus says, all right, no, who am I going to pick? I'm not going to like pick the best and the brightest. I'm going to choose these people. I'm going to choose people who honestly would have reason to not show up together to this meal. And honestly have reason to think, I don't want to hang out with Simon. And I don't want to hang out with Matthew. But Jesus says, you are both gathered around my table. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes about the, the supremacy of Christ and what that means for all of us. And I love Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And I love how that tells to me the whole story of the gospel, that it is about our, our sins, and, and Jesus has conquered our sins. But praise God, it goes even further than that. Jesus has conquered all the ways that we screw things up. Like all the ways that we mess things up. I would argue that the way that the, the U.S. government is structured is possibly uh, one of the best in world history. I mean, one of them. I mean, you could argue that, but even still, it's, it's messed up, isn't it? And this is like how we've organized and it started with like such ambition and it started with like how, how this is going to, to be a, a way that people can unite and get not just like one king ruling over and checks and balances and all that. And there's some ways that we've succeeded in that. But even in perhaps one of the best like organized organizations in human history, like there's still just these issues, right? That's what's great about the message of the gospel. It isn't just about like your personal sin and you showing up, you know, week after week and saying, God, sorry, I did it again. And God saying, it's all right, you know, get back out there. Like, you know, it's about our communal sin. It's about the things that we ignore sometimes as a society, the things perhaps times, at times that we aren't active enough, the times that we're apathetic and that's this message that Jesus has disarmed all that, these evil forces that exist in the world. Jesus has disarmed all of that. If you haven't been baptized, I'd love for you to consider getting baptized. And I'd love to meet with you and, and talk about your journey of faith. But if you have been baptized then it wasn't just an event that happened to you, whatever it happened, maybe a long time ago, or maybe it was recent. Your salvation is an ongoing thing. And it's about continuing to say, what is God saving me from now? Like, what is God doing in me now? It's not just like, okay, you know, God saved me a long time ago. It's how am I then invited to recognize that this is way more than just about me and my personal sin? It's about disrupting authorities and powers that are evil and corrupt in this world. What is God saving me from 
And one of the ways that God saves us is by being around people who sometimes are different than us and sometimes rub us the wrong way, being in spaces that are diverse and different. I love how Anne Lamott says this. She says, you can safely assume you've made God in your own image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. Or when you find yourself saying, how can you be a Christian? And that's actually not the quote. I'm doing that one in a little bit. Hold off just one second. But what does it look like for us to sit in these spaces and to be in these awkward moments like Jesus invites these disciples into and says, no, let's get together. We can all have a meal, right? And Matthew's like, nope. And Simon's like, nope, not interested. But Jesus continues to work on the hearts of those disciples, just like he continues to work on all of us. I love this vision of what it looks like to live in God's kingdom in the book of Isaiah. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling will be together Something, something weird is happening. I don't know if you guys can hear on the live stream. That is, it sounds like there's, someone's getting beamed up over there. <laughs> the cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And I think that's a beautiful image of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. The lion lays down with the lamb. The lion has become a vegetarian somehow. The lion's eating straw. Sometimes I think that's very real for our community today. There's some people who can't be around gluten very easily, and so we sometimes have to think about those things. But what does it look like to be in a space because, like, The lamb has historically justified reasons, instinctual reasons, to not show up to this event, right? As does the lion not really, like, choose to eat straw. This is what it looks like to live in community, to lay down some of your and my prejudices, to lay down some of those things, and to continue to seek to be around people who sometimes are other, who sometimes we, we simply just don't understand. But it's only the love of God and the love of Christ which breaks down these barriers and helps us to live with a different hope. And I love the line in the middle of that, that a little child will lead them. As a parent, I think, yeah, let's keep the kids away from the lion. But a little child, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. As you read it, it just, it just simply doesn't make sense. But this is who we're called to be. To be people who recognize that God is breaking down things in all of our hearts. Who is that other for you? I got the chance a few years ago to do a tour of sites associated with the civil rights movement with a group. There was 12 white pastors and 12 African-American pastors, and we got to visit these sites together. It was a really profound and moving experience. And uh, being able to, to hear uh, from my African-American brothers like how much it affected them being in these places and, and thinking about it myself. The place that we went was the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, where sadly there was a bombing on a Sunday morning 
and four black little girls were killed. And I think it's important when we think about victims like that to think about who they were. It was Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robinson, and Carol Denise McNair. And I remember being moved in that moment and just thinking about these little girls in that horrible moment. It just sounds so evil and wrong. But unfortunately, I do think the KKK got the right target because the church is the place that should bring people together of different backgrounds. The church is the place where these walls have to come down. If you think about just the early church movement, much of the New Testament is written to help Jews and Gentiles get along. It's written because there are these issues, like how do we bring outsiders into this church? And there's a council in Acts chapter 15 where they decide to go from 615 laws to four to reach toward the outsider. And basically the ones they keep is to make sure people can eat together. 615 laws to four. And I think about how wild that is because at this point, there's thousand years of Jewish history. And they make this decision to reach toward outsiders. Like just how revolutionary that is. The Church of Christ as, as a movement and a denomination, and perhaps you're not too familiar, like our church is a Church of Christ as, as a denomination historically. Like we made some changes as a church over the last couple of years that are a little bit non-traditional with our movement. And our movement's only been around for 200 years and still those changes are hard. And I think about Judaism, Judaism which has been around for a thousand years. And all of a sudden, like, Right at the beginning of this Christian movement, they just decide, like, this is how we're supposed to be. We're, we're, all these 615 laws, like, we are going down to four because this is who we're called to be, and we're breaking down these walls. And that's what happens continually in the New Testament. Like, Jews and Gentiles have to figure out how to get together, how to sit together, because this is who we are called to be. I love how Maya Angelou says this. She says, I'm always amazed when people come up to me and say, I'm a Christian. And I think, wow, already? I'm working on it. Which means that I try to be as kind and fair and generous and courteous to every human being. I love that. But it's a constant process. The term Christian is perhaps something that you, you use to identify yourself, but in the scriptures, the way that followers of Jesus were defined was a disciple, which means learner. It's constantly choosing to be at the feet of Jesus and to say, Jesus, where, where would you lead me in this? And I love how Angelou says this, that it is about like constantly thinking about how I can be respectful and generous and courteous to every single person that I meet. And there's no point when you can just turn that off. 
Like it's about continuing to be that kind of person and breaking down walls that perhaps exist in your heart. Because that's the kind of people that Jesus calls to bring the tax collector and a zealot together, to bring together Republicans and Democrats, and even more than that, to bring together black and white and brown, to bring together all of these backgrounds and not assimilate into one group of people, but to enjoy the diversity that we have to learn and grow from each other. Because our calling is to think about how we can be as fair and kind and generous and compassionate to every single person that you and I meet. So may we recognize that that is always at the center of who we're called to be. And may we, as a church, continue to think about how we can listen and give grace and generosity in the ways that we need to. Because if God hates everybody that you do, then there's a chance that you aren't practicing Christian love. So what would it look like for you to lay down some barriers and to recognize that there are evil forces that aren't just out there in the world, but that are in our hearts as well. May we hear the call of Jesus over and over again to sit at his feet and to learn what it looks like to love people who are different. Let's pray. God, may we continue to hear from the message of Colossians that these walls are being broken down. Help us to be part of bringing barriers down. Help us to be part of bringing your real good news and joy into the world that brings different people together. May we center ourselves on on that gospel and to celebrate in who you've called us all to be. Father, as, as we worship now, help us not to just let this song be something that we sing for just a moment, but let it be something that continues to work on our hearts so that we can't just, just think good things about other people, though that's a beginning, but help us to actually to reach out and act in concrete ways. Help us to show your love to people in, in ways that make a difference, in ways that matter. Because at some point, we have to put this into action. It's in your son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen.